Welcome to the History of North America. I'm Mark Vinette. Samuel Champlain's powerful friendship and special relationship with his monarch, King Henry IV, is in part well-documented, but also shrouded in mystery. Henry's many favors to Champlain and his family were acts of extraordinary largesse. What was the origin of this special relationship between a great king, a family of humble origins, and a youth of modest rank? Let's investigate with the help of excerpts from David Hackett Fisher's book, Champlain's Dream. Henry IV and Samuel Champlain Monarch, Mentor, Sponsor, Patron, Friend In the rank-bound world of 16th century France, young Samuel Champlain had a very powerful friend. From an early date, he and his family formed a personal connection with the man who would become Henry IV, King of France, from 1589 to 1610. How that relationship began, we do not know. Perhaps Champlain's family had long been loyal supporters of Henry IV in a divided France. From an early date, by the summer of 1601, the king paid young Samuel Champlain an annual pension. Henry IV was known to be generous to his friends, but what was the origin of this special relationship between a great king, a family of humble origins, and a youth of modest rank? For many years, rumors circulated among historians that Samuel Champlain was the illegitimate son of a very high-born person in France. A report that Champlain was the son of the king himself reached the ears of Algonquin Indians in the St. Lawrence Valley. One of them was alleged to have said that he heard Champlain himself say it was so. None of these rumors has any probative value. But could it have happened? Could Champlain have been the illegitimate son of Henry IV? The answer is yes. It could have happened. If so, it would explain many puzzles in Champlain's life and work. At the time of Champlain's birth, circa 1570, the future King Henry IV of France was Prince Henry of Bern and Navarre. The prince was in his late teens. An engraving at that time shows him to have been remarkably mature for his age, and we know that he was sexually active, to say the least. He married his first wife in 1572. In the course of his life, he is known to have had at least 56 mistresses of record and casual liaisons beyond counting. He is also known to have fathered at least 11 illegitimate children by five or more women. During the years from 1568 to 1572, the young prince was often in La Rochelle, where his mother was living at the time, about 25 miles from Brouage. He traveled widely in Saintonge and was in the right place at the right time to have fathered Samuel by a woman of that region. The infant could have been adopted by a respectable bourgeois family, a common practice for illegitimate children of high-born parents in Champlain's time. The hypothesis that Champlain was the illegitimate son of Henry IV could explain why no records of his birth or baptism have ever been found. It could account for the anomaly of Champlain's social rank. Most scholars now agree that, at an early age, young Samuel was called the Sieur de Champlain, even though he was not of a noble or wealthy family and had no major achievements to his credit. It could help us to understand how and why Champlain had easy access to the person of the king, and an illegitimate birth might explain Champlain's extreme reticence on the subject of who he was. Such a connection would also help us understand the troubles that came to Champlain after the death of Henry IV, the cold distance of Henry's widow, Marie de Medici, 
the decision to end Champlain's pension, the hostility of her servant Cardinal Richelieu, who tried to remove Champlain from his position as lieutenant for New France. It could account for the refusal of those leaders to bestow any honors on Champlain, when others who did much less in New France were given more rewards in the form of titles of nobility, grants of land, and lucrative offices. Some of these puzzling anomalies in Champlain's career could be explained in other ways without assuming that he was the illegitimate son of Henry IV. His developing relationship with the king might be understood as a sequence of contingencies. This alternative hypothesis might begin with the fact that Champlain's family appeared to have been loyal supporters of Prince Henry during the most difficult and dangerous years of his life. The center west of France was his strongest base. Protestant in their religion, but not dogmatic or doctrinaire, families such as the Champlain in Brouage and others like them helped Prince Henry and his mother in the hour of their greatest need. When the prince gained the throne, he was generous to these families, as was his nature. Then the young Saint-Angeois began to bring himself to the attention of the king. Suffice to say that Champlain was devoted to the king, loyal to his cause, and quick to seize opportunities to serve him. At the same time, the king himself appears to have taken a liking to this engaging young man and enjoyed having him about. This sequence of events, combined with the chemistry of a great king and the achievements of a personable young man, could explain the connection that developed between them. Whatever the root of Champlain's special relationship to the king may have been, the fact of its existence is firmly established in the record of his life. Henry's patronage was fundamental to the prosperity of the Champlain family and it was instrumental in the success of Samuel Champlain. The king's intervention directly shaped the pivotal events in Champlain's early career, and we shall see that this happened many times. Henry IV was not only a patron of Samuel Champlain, but also a model and even a mentor. For this young man and many others, the king's example of leadership was an inspiration, and Henry's values became a creed that Champlain served all his life. To comprehend Champlain, we must understand the character of the king he served so faithfully. In Saint-Onge, Samuel Champlain may also have converted to Catholicism at this time. Champlain, like Henry IV, believed that the observance of religion was vital to the stability of society and the state in the 16th century. When Henry came to the throne, he carefully performed the public rituals of Christian kingship, visiting the sick washing the feet of paupers on Maundy Thursday, pardoning criminals on Good Friday, and touching hundreds of sufferers in the healing ceremonies on Easter Sunday. As king, Henry IV also developed a distinctive style of governance. He wrote, To be great, a king should not ignore the smallest thing. Champlain led others by the same rule. By temperament, Henry of Bern and Champlain of Saint-Ange were in some ways very different from one another. Henry IV lived for pleasure. He delighted in good food, great wine, and boon companions. Most of all, he loved the company of beautiful women. A faithful supporter wrote, circa 1582, Sire, these open and time-consuming love affairs no longer seem appropriate. It is time for you to begin loving all Christianity, and especially France herself. Henry preferred to love all the ladies of France. Samuel Champlain also enjoyed food and drink, 
good companions and good times, as did the king. But Champlain was more austere in his private life, and he lived by a different creed. Later, those who knew him best in America remarked on his chastity in the face of invitations from Indian women who offered themselves to him. In that way, Henry IV and Champlain could not have been more different. But in their politics and religious ideas, they were very much alike. Henry IV and Samuel Champlain lived most of their lives in a nation at war with itself. Both became men of humanity in a world of cruelty and violence. Henry IV worked tirelessly to unite his kingdom, not primarily by force, but by persuasion. Henry began by buying outright the loyalty of former opponents. He was severely chastised by other European monarchs, who thought that he set a very bad example by paying his subjects for their loyalty. But Henry told his minister, the Duc de Sully, that it would have cost him ten times as much to do it by the sword, and he was probably right. Peace and prosperity returned to many towns in Saintonge and throughout France. The idea of national unity began to gather strength. Henry IV also appealed to the material interest of the middle class. Families who supported the king were rewarded. Peasants and even day laborers were promised prosperity and abundance. Henry IV is said to have remarked, There will be no laborer in my kingdom who lacks the means to have a chicken in his pot. Henry IV's phrase would reverberate through the ages. In the United States, President Herbert Hoover borrowed the phrase and made a campaign promise of a chicken in every pot in the election of 1928. Henry also became a great builder and vastly improved the city of Paris. Many of the most beloved parts of the city today were his work. The embankments and the quays along the River Seine, the graceful Pont Neuf, the gardens of the Tuileries and their linkage to the Louvre, the Champs-Élysées, the Place Royale, and the Rue Dauphine. The beautiful palace and grounds of Fontainebleau were developed by him. There he loved to meet and talk with friends, walking with them in the vast wooded park that surrounded the palace, deep in intimate conversation. The king formed the habit of holding his favorite companions by the hand. Other kings created distance as an instrument of power. Henry IV cultivated intimacy. Henry worked to unite the regions of France in a network of roads and canals. He also maintained a strong army in France, but kept it on a short leash. He told several captains who allowed their troops to pillage the peasantry, Who will pay your pensions, gentlemen? By God to attack my people is to attack me. His foreign policy won broad support in France. He sought many years of confrontation between France and Spain, with treaties that were ratified by other European states. Henry IV envisioned a European Union that could bring an end to violence on that war-ravaged continent. This breadth of spirit inspired many young Frenchmen, Catholic as well as Protestant, and they rallied to the causes that Henri Le Grand espoused. After a century of violence and cruelty, Henry IV offered an ideal of peace, generosity, and humanity. Champlain was one of many young men of his generation who looked at the king as their model. And for reasons that nobody has been able to explain from the historical record, young Champlain was privileged to know this great king in another way, as a mentor, sponsor, patron, and friend. 
Whatever its cause, its consequences were a fundamental fact of his life. Check out the YouTube version of this episode, which has accompanying images. I'm Mark Vinette, and I hope you're enjoying the ride. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ.